Welcome to the Do Hard Things podcast with your host, Jay Teagues. Are you ready to amplify and improve your life? Then you're in the right place. On this podcast, we have unfiltered conversations with inspiring people who take on challenges and are here to share with us their wisdom from their journey. We talk about how doing hard things enable all of us to adequately deal with life struggles and challenges and to ultimately improve the quality of our lives. Welcome back, my friends, to the Do Hard Things podcast. I'm your host, Jay Teagues, certified high-performance coach and transformational life coach, founder of The Forge, an online personal growth community. I'm honored to be your high-performance coach today. I believe that every day is an opportunity to live with intention and make a difference in this world. I believe that we need to take bold action, face our fears, and take on meaningful pursuits. When we do hard things, we develop grit, discipline, and courage which equip us to face life's many challenges, and it enables us to live with more abundance and joy. When we do hard things and face our fears, we have a sense of accomplishment, and we become better role models and leaders to our family and community, and it makes us feel alive. I believe that we all have it in us to lead extraordinary lives filled with joy and happiness. I believe that every day is a new opportunity to make a difference, which is why I coach mentor, and teach the habits of the world's highest performers. I founded a community called The Forge, an online community where you get me as your coach and you can connect with other like-minded people. One of my favorite proverbs is, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Having training, tools, and accountability will accelerate that next breakthrough. You know there is another level out there for you, which is why you're here. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen and hope you gain some valuable insights. Now, let's get to today's episode. I, I encourage you to listen closely, get a pen and paper, and, and take some notes to capture any insights that you have, and please consider sharing this episode as the world needs to hear more positive messaging. So do me a favor, share it with at least two people, and tell them what you learned. And be sure to tag me or DM me on social media and tell me what your greatest insight was. You can also go to my website, jtegs.com, J-A-Y-T-I-E-G-S.com, and join the newsletter and community. Thanks again for listening. And let's begin today's episode. In this episode, I have a great conversation with Chris Moynihan, where we discuss his interesting life and striving to be a good man. Christopher Moynihan is a construction superintendent in the greater Salt Lake City area. He also spends his time as a backpacking coach and guide and is the owner of Bear Outfitters, spelled B-E-X-A-R, but pronounced bear like the animal. He's a proud husband and father and former foster parent. Chris is an enthusiastic rucker and enjoys time in the mountains as a backpacking guide and coach. Some notable things about Chris, Chris spent two years as a missionary in Mexico where he developed some unique perspectives about the world. Chris earned an MBA and is currently leading and developing a high-performing team to construct a large project of multifamily apartment and urban infill projects in the Utah Valley. He talks about leadership principles he's incorporating to create high-performing teams in his line of work, and we discuss his love and passion for backpacking and being a parent and striving to be a good man. Chris has a Facebook page and YouTube channel where uh, called uh, Bear Outfitters, spelled B-E-X-A-R. So I would encourage you to go check him out. He has uh, some great content out there on all things backpacking. And uh, so now on to the interview. Tonight, I have the honor and privilege of having a great conversation with Chris Moynihan. Chris, we met in on the internets 
uh, and doing uh, a mutual 75 hard group. So you're, you're a like-minded individual that uh, likes to take on difficult pursuits in a, in a way to improve yourself. And why don't you just uh, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a construction superintendent for my day job and a backpacking coach uh, slash YouTube channel guy uh, for my side gig slash uh, kind of passion project. Um, 32 years old, father of three and a half kids. Um, yeah, just uh, another guy out there trying to self-improve and make a, a better place out of the world and continue to try and push myself to be a better person each and every day. So that's kind of the elevator speech of who I am. Yeah, we connected and instantly what I appreciated about you is one, you like to challenge yourself. You are a growth-minded and putting yourself into a position of being better. And, and things that stood out to me was you're talking about like leading your team and being a, a better leader for to, to create high-performing teams in the line of work that you do. Uh, the fact that you and your wife uh, have created a family and have taken on, you know, uh, being foster parents and adopting children, like there's some really good qualities there. And in in addition to the outdoors and the backpacking videos. And so I just found you to be incredibly interesting and I've appreciated our conversations and pretty jazzed that you uh, agreed to come on to the podcast for, for an interview. So um, what uh, I guess I'll start off with, we're, we're coming on it. it right around the time that we drop this, it's going to be father's day. So the first question nice. I'm going to ask you is, and you're, you're a father is what was the greatest lesson that your father taught you? Oh man. Greatest lesson my father ever taught me is that sometimes you have to do things just so that they get done. So there's a perfect example of this. Um, when I was a kid, we got, uh, my dad and I got kind of assigned to bring this lady to church and she was a handicapped lady she had had diabetes and so she had lost a leg and she was kind of mentally slow but she wanted to come to church and so the the bishop of our congregation asked us to go pick her up and bring her to church so that was our our job right let's go pick her up bring her to church so we did that for like a year and i was like 13 or 14 and uh then we got assigned to do something else uh for another family and so that that lady kind of got dropped off of our our route let's say and got assigned to somebody else and so uh I remember like probably five or six weeks later, we're going to go pick up Margie again. And I asked my dad, I'm like, dad, like, like, come on, like, we don't need to go pick her up. She's got this other family that's supposed to be coming to pick her up. Like, why, why are we doing this? And this is dumb. And he goes, Chris, sometimes you got to do things just because they won't get done otherwise. And I was like, whatever, dad. And now like the older I get, I'm like, damn, dad was teaching me some lessons there. Like he really had a, a gem of a moment there that he was really trying to drop on me. But uh, I, I mean, really did. He, he kind of impressed upon me that, you know, there are people in this world who can step up and do things. And if you don't step up and do them, they won't get done. And so take the time and take the opportunity to step up and do things that won't get done otherwise, because you have the power, the ability and the wherewithal to do them and they need to get done. So that was probably the best lesson my dad ever taught me. Yeah, I, I love that because, uh, like you said, there's so many things that uh, that don't get done, and someone's got to step up and take charge and make it happen. Now, in that moment, did you realize the impact of that lesson, or was it, did the light bulb come on? Later? No, like like so many sermons, my dad taught me a lot of lessons and very rarely used words, and so by the power of his example, um, he taught me a lot of things, and so just him being willing to show up and take that lady to church every Sunday, knowing full well 
and dragging me along so that he would have some company to do it and would have um, kind of some help was something that I didn't recognize until long after the fact and something I didn't value until long after the fact. But that opportunity to serve shoulder to shoulder with my father really was a, a heck of an opportunity and one that I am grateful for to this day. And I've had lots of other opportunities to serve alongside him in in that capacity, in, in an ecclesiastical capacity and in a, a service capacity. And I'm grateful for all those opportunities that we've had to spend time together shoulder to shoulder and uh, really improving our community and doing our part to try and make the world a little better and brighter place. Yeah, I heard a quote today and it was, if you want to change the world, you do it through your example, not from mm-hmm. your opinion. And yeah. so, and it goes hand in hand with your kids. Like uh, that's one thing that I've learned is that your, your actions are incredibly important. They may not always hear what you're saying, but your consistent actions and how you show up and the propensity of they're, they're watching what you do. Oh, so yeah. kids can, kids can smell a hypocrite a mile away. And so the, the first chance that they have to point it out, they will. But uh, every chance that you have to, to really put yourself where you're supposed to be and show that example, it's a good opportunity to show the kids. Absolutely. So tell us about your kids. How many do you have? What ages are there? And what have you learned from being a father? So I've got three and one on the way. Um, I was also a foster parent. So I have uh, a couple other foster kids that were in and around our home that I still count. So I've got a handful of those as well. Um, but I have had a neat opportunity to be a, a licensed dad and a biological dad and an adoptive dad and a foster dad and kind of all the different types of dads that you can be except for stepdad, I guess. But <laughs> I've had the, the neat opportunity to, to step into those shoes and be a father figure for a lot of kids that didn't have that. And it's been a, a real neat opportunity. Uh, my oldest is only three, so I've still got real little kids, three, two, one, and one on the way. So we're a busy, busy family, but it's been a, a cool opportunity to see them grow and to watch them turn into these little toddlers that can uh, really have empathy. And it's been neat to watch them grow. It's a neat stage of my life to watch them turn into little sentient beings that can actually communicate back with me. So that's a lot of fun. But as a foster dad, I got to deal with some older kids and kids that had dealt with a lot of trauma. And it uh, really opened my eyes to just how lucky I was growing up to have a mom and a dad that loved each other and wanted to be a, a loving family and grandparents that, you know, still loved each other and wanted to be, you know, together in a family. And not everybody has that. And so that's been something that's made me really grateful as a father that I had that and really do my best to share that love that I've been so fortunate to have with kids that may not have had that up to this point in their lives. Yeah, that's, uh, it's becoming increasing, increase the, the broken homes are more prevalent. I grew up in a broken home and unfortunately, you know, my, uh, I, I divorced about, uh, almost two years ago, uh, over two years ago. And I, I just feel that aspect of my life, you know, I, I, Having the triplet girls, well, first of all, because I, ha- I came up in a broken home, I didn't know that I wanted to have kids. I was nervous about it. I never had sure. a, a father. I, I knew what right didn't look like, which, you know, y- you figure it out as you go. But that's one of the, the things that I have wrangled with is the shortcomings that I had that uh, ultimately led to my marriage ending and the fact that, you know, my kids are not going 
to grow up in a, you know, quote unquote, normal home with a, with a, with a mom and dad. And that's something that I've really kind of struggled with. And one thing that uh, Aaron, Mike's wife and I have really have tried to do is really co-parent in a way, you know, there's a lot of people that are divorced that they can't even communicate with each other. Uh, sure. and we're in a, a place where, you know, we, we are very cordial. I'm just across town. It's week on, week off. And we have made it as the l- least amount of stress on the kids as possible. And I think, you know, in all honesty, I think given the circumstance, we're doing pretty, pretty good. We're doing pretty good with them. But uh, it is something that uh, it hurts my heart a little bit that they're not going to experience that. And it concerns me. You know, but I, all I can do is just the, the the best that I can to be the best role model that I can and be involved in their lives as, as much as possible. You know, and, I, and now, I'll say in this, regards like, to you know being a foster parent, like what compelled you to do that, and yeah, what are some of the challenges with that? Yeah, so I mean, we wanted kids, and so we looked at a, the different types of adoption that were out there, and so we said, all right, we can do a private adoption; nothing's guaranteed. We can foster; nothing's guaranteed. And so we decided that we were going to go ahead and foster that there were lots of kids out there that, that needed the love. And so we decided to go ahead and go that route. And um, we got licensed on February 26th and got our first placement on February 27th. And they just kind of throw you into the fire there. And so we got the chance to step into the community of foster parents. And the kind of crazy thing about foster parenting is that there are lots of people in that community, but you, because of the background checks and stuff that you have to do to have anybody watch your kids, you end up growing close to other foster families because that's the, really the only other people that can watch your kids or the other people that can kind of help you out a little bit with how to navigate the system. And so got to be in that community for a little bit. Um, We fostered uh, four different kids. We got to adopt two of those kids and then we provided respite care for some other kids along the way. And, those were all fun kids. Um, they're all, none of the kids are ever the problem. It's, you know, they come from a lot of different traumas and backgrounds. Um, and just we'll say things that'll make, you know, make your heart break, but no, they're always the best. You know, kids are, kids are always good. Um, sometimes you have to deal with difficult problems that come along with trauma. Um, things like, you know, just, you know, anger issues or emotional issues, things that you may not think about. Um, my son's mother used drugs while she was pregnant with him. And so we had to deal with some of the after effects of that and deal with all of the baggage that comes along with that. And we will still deal with a lot of the baggage that deals with that, you know, as he grows up. But I think that really, you know, it was an opportunity for us to one to serve, but two, you know, we wanted kids and we knew that there were kids out there that needed the love. And so we, you know, helped had an opportunity to share our love. And so we did. But you'd mentioned just something a minute ago. You said, you know, you're, you're doing the best. You know, honestly, Jay, I've you know seen seen some posts about how you parent and you know, watch you tease your kids, and like you're doing a great job, man. Like I just want to, as an outside perspective, you're doing a great job, and you're showing up for your kids. And if you're showing up for your kids, I mean, that's that's really the best thing that you can do. I've seen I've seen the effects of people that don't want to show up for their kids, and it is the most heartbreaking and heart wrenching thing you can see. And I just want to point out that you are the farthest thing from that. I see that you still have your kids. You're doing a good job. So I'll put that out there for the world to know. I think Jay's doing a good job. No, I appreciate that, brother. It's uh, it's it's definitely a challenging leadership role. And I was talking to uh, buddy Craig about this. We talk about this. It's like, you know, we're, we're very influential at work. You know, we have positions where we, we 
uh, supervise a lot of people. We work on big projects. And even in the coaching space, you know, I'm helping people out and helping them solve their life's problems. And but I can't, you know, I, I struggle influencing my my daughters to make their bed without sassing back, you know. And it's sure. just like you sure. have to approach them just a little bit differently and realize that they're not at the same, you know, level of thinking that you're at. And it, it just it's fun, but it's also mind-numbing. And sometimes you just question your own parenting, but as I connect with other parents, I think everyone that's just par for the course for most, you know, <laughs> for yep. most parents. That's just just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. But being involved and engaged is incredibly uh, important. And no, you're, you're right. When uh, now with, as far as fostering, like what are some, if someone was considering fostering children and there's a lot of kids out there that, that, uh, that need that, uh, and, and God bless you and your wife for doing that. Cause that's, uh, you know, there's so many kids out there that, that need uh, a good home. And the fact that you're, you're stepping up and, and leading uh, by action uh, is, is incredible. But someone was thinking about doing it. What are some, what are some things that you have learned through that process that you wish you would have known maybe, you know, go, going into it that you kind of learned after the fact? Um, probably the, the first thing is that on any given day, there's between 400,000 and 500,000 kids that are in the foster system. Um, so there's, there's a lot of need for good foster parents out there. Um, I think that anybody can foster. And I think that a lot of people that are on the fence about it should just go ahead and pull the trigger on it and, and go ahead and take that leap. So I'll start off with that. With that said, um, I wish that I had, spend a little bit more time getting to know my agency. So in, in Texas where we, we fostered, um, you could either work directly with CPS, but most people choose to work with a child placing agency or a CPA. And so we worked with a, a CPA. Um, there was, it was good. They got us licensed quickly, um, but they didn't provide a ton of support on the back end. So just taking the time to maybe go around to a couple of different um, child placing agencies and getting to know how they differed probably would have been beneficial to us. Um, with that said, like I'm in a, a lot of different dad groups about, you know, foster dads and um, kind of fostering and ad- adoptive dads. And uh, the big thing is, is have a plan beforehand on how you're going to handle certain things and recognize that there's lots of things that are going to come up that you just have no control over. And if you need to go talk to a therapist, go talk to a counselor, go talk to your you know bishop or priest or, evangelical leader, whatever that, that is to you. Um, let them know that you're getting ready to start on that journey and have the, a support system set up beforehand. So if you need to talk to, to friends and family, get them set up to be babysitters. So there's some paperwork that's involved with that. It's just like a background check and some fingerprinting. Um, have a, a plan for babysitters because there's going to come up a day where you're going to be out of town. Your wife's going to need to go to the dentist and nobody's going to be able, available to watch the kids like having a resource that you can go to and say, Hey, you know, John, can you watch my kids? Hey, Jay, can you watch my kids for a couple hours? And having that resource is invaluable because it's not like I'm going to say air quotes here, a regular family where you can uh, just, you know, hire a teenager from down the street. There's a little bit more involved with it because these kids are coming from a traumatic background and the the state and the agencies need to make sure that they're not getting into a situation where uh, abuse is possible again, or, probable again. And so they'd take a little bit extra paperwork to get that done. So just establish that network before you uh, get a placement and that will help you in invaluably as you move forward with your placement. So those are the things I probably start off with. 
We've talked before about uh, some of the emotions that you feel when you are in that role, because you're still, in some cases, you're still dealing with the parents. You have communication with the parents. Yeah. So um, it's weird because every step closer to adoption, which is for a lot of people is why they get into fostering. um, It's a step, one more step of a family being destroyed. And so on the one side, you know, your family is coming closer together. You're getting one step closer to possibly adopting this child. And on the other hand, a parent is losing a child, which I, I can't imagine um, the, the pain that that would bring for somebody. So, you know, it's, it's this weird dichotomy that you end up dealing with where you're happy, but you're also kind of solemn about it. So those are, those are feelings you have to deal with. You have to deal with all of the emotions that come along with hearing the details of children's cases which sometimes can be just heartbreaking and emotionally a, a huge roller coaster. A lot of foster parents call it the foster coaster because you might get a call that says, hey, um, mom decided to terminate her parental rights. And so that's one step closer to adoption for you. But uh, dad has an aunt in Oklahoma who might be interested in, in the kid. And so, it's, so we've got to check that. And so it's like two steps forward, one step back. But at the same time, you know, the goal of foster care is always family reunification. So if the state and the, and the family can figure out a way to, to keep the kid with the family, that's the goal. I mean, that's, and that's an admirable goal. I'm not saying that's a bad goal, um, but it, it is a heartbreaking thing to deal with. And it's things like, you know, the mom might be doing really good on rehab and she'll be clean for six months. And then all of a sudden she does drugs again. And so six months of her life are now down the drain and that puts her kid's future in uncertainty and, so there's lots of things you have to deal with where you're on the one hand, you're never rooting for anybody to fail. You don't want the parents to fail. You want the parents to succeed. But on the other hand, you're growing more and more in love with, with this child every day and you want the best for that child. And so ultimately it comes down to the, the judges and, and God bless judges and attorneys and ad litems who deal with family court cases all day because it is just an emotional roller coaster from get go to get go. But ultimately it comes down to them to decide what's best for the child. And so that's what they're, they're there for. And, you know, at the end of the day, foster parents and, and biological parents all want what's best for the kids or should want what's best for the kids. And it, you just got to roll with what, how that happens. And sometimes the judge gets it right. And sometimes the judge gets it wrong, but you, you do your best and you love the kids because that's, that's what you're there for. And that's what we're all here for is to help these kids succeed and have their, their best possible future. So, yeah, there's so many kids out there, like you'd mentioned that, uh, that need, they need that parental influence. And yeah. I, I couldn't imagine the emotional roller coaster of, you know, generating that bond with that child, yet knowing that you still may not, they're only, they may only be there temporary. They may not fully integrate into your family. And the emotion yeah. of, yes, if, if they do join my family, you know, that you are ending a, another family. And so how, how have you dealt with that? What are some of the emotions that you have felt and how have you handled that? So we, um, my, it depends on the case. So like my son's parents were never super great about being involved. Um, my daughter's parents, her mom would like to be more involved than, um, she is. So we've got on the one, uh, one adoption, we've got what amounts to a closed adoption. None of his family for better or for worse has ever, wanted to really have contact with him, which is to me extraordinarily sad um, because he's a wonderful child and I love him to death. Uh, My daughter, her mom, we have an email with her that we communicate through. So we'll send pictures and and kind of communicate back and forth. And ultimately it's going to be in my daughter's court, how much she wants that relationship to develop. 
But for us, you know, it's important to us to maintain that contact so that in the future, if she does want to ever meet, then we can go down that road. Um, as far as me personally dealing with it, um, it comes down to a lot of kind of internalizing some of the, the aspects of the trauma that these, par- that these parents have dealt with and these kids have dealt with. So recognizing that trauma doesn't necessarily make them bad people. Drugs don't even necessarily make them bad people. Um, the cycle of addiction is a very real thing. And although I would love for them to make some personal better choices, I can't control them or their actions. All I can do is control how I react to it. And so I can choose to either get mad about it or I can choose to you know, pray for their forgiveness. I can choose to hope that they turn their life around. I can choose to keep that door open if they ever want to come and, and communicate in a, a good way, a positive way. So those are the ways that I deal with it. And at the end of the day, I, I, I'm a man of faith and so I believe only God can judge. And I, I'm grateful for a, a perfect judge that understands all of the little idiosyncrasies that go into human beings. And I recognize that there's lots of little things that add up that keep humans ticking and that influence how people act and behave. And so I don't have a, a full understanding of their past and history. And so without that, I'm not in a position where I can be any kind of perfect judge of their character or of their, their life story. But all I can do is hope that they will turn it around and become a positive force for good in their child's life. And that, that kind of keeps me going. Um, lots of people do deal with it in other ways. Lots of foster parents end up going on antidepressants or talking to, to counselors and therapists about it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I, you know, practice mindfulness to make sure I'm, I don't get angry at things. And because that's, again, anger is not a productive feeling for me. And so I, I choose not to go down that road, but it can get real easy to go down that road if you don't be careful about it. Yeah. Mindfulness is a practice that I have been incorporating more and more. I have a negative disposition, a natural disposition sometimes. Sure. And I tend to, uh, I can have, you know, really positive moments and I get in kind of some dark spaces and I feel that mindfulness and, you know, doing some type of meditative practice to detach and slow my thoughts down really helped me out because you're right. There's no shortage of people out there that are going to piss you off. And there's no shortage of struggle in life. There's no shortage of things that are going to happen to you. And like you said, you can't control people and people do the craziest things and you can let it really, really bother you. And sometimes you just have to detach and just control what you can control, control the controllables. And I find that mindfulness, doing some form of meditation and gratitude really, really helps. Now I don't, I, I'm trying to be more consistent with it, but they're just days are so busy. But I notice that when I am practicing it regularly, I do feel so much better. What What are your mindfulness uh, techniques and habits? Um, so, I mean, I, I've tried like the the guided meditation and stuff, and I think that's good to be like begin with. I think that that's a good place to kind of understand where your emotions come from. So for me, I've I've learned to stop and take pause and really consider my emotions before I take action on them. And that's something like as a parent, it's super easy for me to just like flap the handle and be like, stop touching that. But I have to take a second and go back and be like, no, like he doesn't understand or she doesn't understand that what she's doing is wrong. I need to take a second to under, you know, understand the th- where they're coming from. Um, and so for me, just taking a step back, um, taking a deep breath, understanding where my emotions are coming from. You know, I'm upset because I'm tired. I'm not upset because of uh, another's action. At the end of the day, I, you know, I'm the grown up in the room, whether that's if, if I'm in a room of grown ups, I'm the grown up in the room. 
And I have to learn to control my emotions and feelings. And so really just taking that pause before acting has been a big thing for me. And then recognizing when frustration or anger start to boil up that I need to take a second, reset myself, say, you know, I'm, I'm angry because I'm tired or I'm angry because I'm, I'm frustrated at this other situation. It's not the situation that's at present. And taking the second to go back and say, well, I can only control these couple of things. I'm going to take those, this moment to be present and be present with my kids, be present with my wife, be present in this moment at my job, whatever it is, and control what I can in this moment. And then I can continue to control that throughout the rest of the day. So just taking, taking back that control, taking a second step back and recognize some of the bigger picture items. Um, for me, I practice gratefulness kind of at the end of the day. I look at, you know, at the end of the day, I am fed, I'm clothed, I've got a roof over my head, I've got food in my belly, I've got money in the bank. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm in probably the top 1% of the global world um, as far as poverty level. So I have really nothing to complain about. And um, because I've spent time in, in third world countries where I've met people who are extraordinarily happy with significantly less than I am um, and what I have, then I can take a second to just really be grateful for the opportunities and things that have led me to this point in my life. So those kind of couple of things keep me humble, keep me in check and keep me kind of thinking about what I need to be doing to move forward and what things I can control. So, yeah, mindfulness has helped me not be so as reactive and impulsive because we have two brains. We got the primitive brain and then we yeah. have, you know, our logic brain and oftentimes primitive brain is in control. And that's the, that reaction, that, that impulsive, like uh, emotional response to things and mindfulness enables you to detach from your primitive brain a little bit more. And I, I liked what you said about, hey, am I tired? Am I hungry? Bill Clinton, uh, I, I was listening to something not so long ago, and he was known for when someone was being very irrational, he would always ask, hey, is this person, when was the last time they slept? When was the last time they ate? Yeah. And he I was very intentional, yeah. thoughtful about that because you're right. Like you're, you, you, your mood uh, can – you can get very grumpy very quickly, quickly when you're tired. I know when I'm hungry, I get very irritable. I, so I like those Snickers commercials, right? <laughs> you're not being yourself. Uh, and yeah, you got to look at your, your physio physiological well-being. What's emotionally going on? Are you carrying a lot of stress? Cause you're going to be a little bit more snappy and a little bit more not showing up as your best self and uh, having the, the, the ability to detach and have that self-awareness, you know, and being in tune with your emotion. And a lot of men would be like, Oh, well that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not very manly, right? To be be in touch with your emotions, but I think it is. I think I think uh, I think it takes incredible discipline and uh, awareness of yourself. And the more that you practice mindfulness, the more in tune you are to control those things to show up as a better version of yourself. And you know, you're absolutely right as far as gratitude. You know, we 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 live in a society where there's just so much abundance and people are miserable. And I, I think that uh, world travel and seeing people like how others live across the world is incredibly powerful. You know, it's one blessing I've had of being in the army is they've sent me to some, you know, some of the armpits of the world where you, you truly see people struggling. And uh, I'd love to transition a little bit and kind of talk about your experiences as a, as a missionary. Sure. And you know, you, you, you're involved in uh, the, the Mormon church and, and they send what I, what I think is cool about the Mormon church is how they send, you know, the, um, the, the young adults off on a two-year mission. 
And it's almost like military service. It's like they just send you to an outpost somewhere in the world. Uh, you may not know the culture or the, or the language, and, they, and, and you just go out on, on your mission and, and, and spread the word. Uh, how is that for you? Can you describe what, what, uh, where your mission was, how that process went, what you learned from it? Sure. So, yeah. So the, the way that it works is you, you decide that you want to go ahead and, and uh, kind of sign up for missionary service, and you turn in your, your paperwork. And um, they assign you to a spot in the world. So my assigned mission was the, the Torreon, Mexico mission, which is kind of north central Mexico, kind of in the, the dusty, deserty part. Um, but I also had some some beautiful mountain areas in Zacatecas. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of give you a crash course in Spanish or a crash course in whatever language and then send you off. Um, so I got a, a nine week crash course in Spanish and they sent me off. And I grew up on the Texas border. So I spoke a little bit of Spanish enough to get into a fight anyway. And so I uh, kind of bounced off into the world and um, got to go and meet and serve alongside a lot of great people. And I spent two years down there. Um, so I was there from uh, 2008 to 2010. And like I said, I, I met a lot of great people who were very humble and shared what they had with me. And I got to share, you know, what the, the message that I had with them and um, had all, all in all a great time. But yeah, it, it is kind of like missionary service and it is uh, like a military service in that, you don't necessarily get a say in what you're doing or where you're going. Um, I'll say it's different because you're there for a very different purpose, but it's a, a good thing. And for me, it was a great opportunity to kind of disconnect from the, the world a little bit and really focus on serving people and spending time looking to, to teach people. Um, you deal with a lot of rejection. So I was uh, got a lot of doors slammed in my face, got dogs sticked on me, got spit on, um, got told I was all kinds of names. Um, so, you know, you deal with a lot of rejection, but you deal with a lot of joy you get to meet a lot of people who get to turn their lives around. Um, there was one guy that I remember, he was a kind of rock and roll star. Um, he spent his, his, uh, Saturday nights playing in bars and stuff. And I remember we got to his house one time and he was just, just dog drunk. I mean, just, you could smell it on him drunk. And, uh, his dog was having puppies and he was just breaking down. He's like, I can't even help her cause I'm just a drunk. And so like just falling apart. And so we got in there and I mean, I grew up on a farm and so I helped the dog deliver the puppies and we're all good. She says, I'll see you tomorrow brothers. And so he comes to church tomorrow and he's just, just still just kind of, you could smell the beer on him. And the Bishop pulled me aside and he goes, is he still drunk? Do you think? And I go, yeah, I think he is. And he goes, well, I guess it's just good that he's here. And it was just like such a, a good moment for him to just say like, you know, it's just better that he's here. We'll take care of him. And he's, you know, he's a great guy. He's, I, still email back with him every now and then and check in and see how he's doing. Um, but you know, I got to meet and have to have stories like that. I learned how to study. I learned, you know, the self-discipline of, uh, you know, we, we have like a really set kind of schedule. So every morning you get up at six 30, you exercise for half an hour, you do a half an hour of getting ready. And then you do an hour of personal study, an hour of companionship study, a half hour of language study. Um, so learning how to study and, and spend time in the books was an invaluable thing for me as a 19 year old. Uh, it really changed my life when I came back and had to apply myself in school. So for me, it was a fantastic two years. Um, a lot of people call it the best two years for me. I've had a lot of great years since then. So it's not my best two years, but it was two great years for me. I, I really had a good time and met a lot of great people, made some lifelong friendships. So, yeah, you want to talk about doing hard things. I mean, getting sent to another country uh, to, to, like you said, you get, you get spit on and yelled at and that's tough work. That's tough. Yeah. That is yeah. tough work. When you talk about like religion and so it's a very polarizing topic to a lot of people. 
And, you know, I, I, there's no doubt you probably have a lot of stories from, from that time period. What's, um, describe a moment that uh, maybe you like during that time that, that really, I don't know, maybe impacted you and maybe made you see the world in a, in a different way. Was there any moment that you had during that trip where you're just like, wow, I, I just. Yeah. So, th- I mean, there's, there's lots. Um, one that, that just came to mind just now is that we were uh, teaching this family um, and they were, we were getting to be pretty close friends. We'd, you know, we'd spent a lot of time with them. I mean, I'd, I'd had dinner with them and, um, you know, we, we talked a lot. We'd probably spent probably, I don't know, 20 hours talking to this family about, the church and, and about life and serving kind of with them and alongside them. Um, and there was a, a drug dealer that lived up the street from them who the police wanted to get. The guy had run out of the top of his apartment onto this family's roof and the police, the federal police in Mexico uh, dropped a grenade out of a helicopter onto this roof and the grenade exploded, blew the, the ceiling out, um, killed the drug dealer, but also killed this family. Um, and so, like, as a 19-year-old, you know, you deal kind of abstractly with death. I've been to, you know, a couple of funerals and that kind of thing. But to see this family that I had just seen, like, the night before, like, dead in the streets was a very shocking moment to me as a kid. Um, and for me, that was, that was a life-changing moment where I recognized just how short life can be and to really value the moments that are important and value my family. Um, that's one that I haven't really talked about a whole lot with many people, but that's one that really was a, a life changer for me and, and, uh, kind of taught me to carpe the diem as it were, and, uh, kind of take, take stock of what was most important in my life. So that's one that really sticks out to me. The days following that, how were you able to compartmentalize that and continue the, the work and the daily routine? How, how was that? You know, couple days that yeah. Fall. So like, you know, you, as a missionary, the, the goal was always kind of the same. Like if you're, you're not teaching somebody, you're looking for somebody to teach. Right. Um, and so you, you take a moment of faith and you say, you know, I, I personally believe that, you know, again, you know, God is a perfect judge and that all injustices eventually are are solved by him i believe in a a concept of eternal justice and mercy right um so for me it was at that point in my life i you know since i was i was very deeply immersed in it every day it was very easy for me to say something along the lines of it'll all be okay because you know it'll all it'll all be okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end um and so for me that was how i i kind of dealt with it I'm not sure if that was the healthiest thing for me to just like keep on going out and proselyting and trying to find more people to teach. I probably should have taken a little bit more time to kind of deal with it. But I think that it was in in a way really good that I had, you know, every day I had a a mission driven purpose that I was going to go find somebody else to teach, you know, the the good word to that I could go talk to them and and help them kind of learn a little bit more about me and, and serve the people as best I could. So I think that's how I dealt with it as I, I just took a, a minute to be sad and, and obviously mourn the loss of this, this wonderful family. They were great people and I enjoyed them and I enjoyed their company, but I, we don't, we, we don't ever lose anybody until we stop talking about them. And so it's a good time for me to, to, you know, thank the family Cordero for 
uh, taking me into their house and showing hospitality to me. And I'll always remember them for that. And I'll share their stories with my kids as I get, you know, get old. Their, their sacrifice or their, their life is not in vain, I guess, um, as much as it breaks my heart to, to think about how things could be different if there were other sociopolitical choices being made. But uh, that's something that I can either dwell on or I can go about and try to do some good, make some good in the world. So when, you know, when you see something like that, did you find yourself ever questioning your faith? Like how does something like that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can see something like that and not doubt, doubt your faith. Um, So I believe in, uh, I believe in agency. I believe that man is, is given the chance to make choices and I believe that choices have consequences and we're not always able to defend ourselves from the consequences of ourselves or others. Um, and so with those choices, you know, we've had all kinds of, of massacres and destruction and, and things like that. But like I said earlier, I, I believe in this concept of kind of eternal justice and mercy. And I think that there is uh, everybody will, will be recompensed justly in the end um, by a loving and almighty God and, whether that means to me, you know, that the uh, there's a, a very li- literal divine, you know, justice, or whether that means that the world kind of figures it out. I'm I'm still trying to figure out in my faith journey, but I think that everybody will eventually get uh, get something that that makes their their life here on earth worth it. And I think that there are ripple effects that travel along you know a lot of the times in, in the in the worst moments of human history we can find glimmers of some of the the most brave and noble acts of human history um you know we, we think about you know stories in the the holocaust of uh, government officials risking their lives to help jews flee the country we talk about um you know in in hurricanes and, and in natural disasters nearly without a without a fault um Immediately after disasters, humans generally tend to stick together and help each other out with few exceptions. It's usually shortly thereafter that things start to unravel. But in the immediate aftermath, most of the time people do amazing things to help each other. So for me, it's it's those moments and those little glimmers of humanity where I can look for and be a helper that uh, I try to, to find the joy in. Yeah, you mentioned the Holocaust. I don't know how many times I probably mentioned this book at least once every podcast, but A Man's Search for Meaning. Anytime that I hear of the Holocaust or think about hardship, I think of the book, A Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankel. Yeah, it's a good and one. Talking about like and, and I I agree with you. I, I I don't I don't know. I my faith has been I'm religious. I believe in God, but I'm also skeptical of a lot of religions because they're led by man and there's so many things that we sure. just don't know. But I do feel in my heart that the world, like you said, it's just, it's a, it's just operating and there are consequences to choices. And I don't think that God is in control of everything. I think that he is just letting it exist. And, you know, uh, he tries to persuade us or, or give us, you know, guidance in the way that he communicates with us, hoping that, that we love him and connect with him. But at the end of the day, we have free will to make choices and there's consequences to choices. And there's just, you know, 
disasters happen. Sure. There's man-made disasters. There's natural disasters. And th- there's just consequences. And things just happen. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And that's unfortunate. Um, but I, but I, you know, when, and I, I just wonder, you know, being on a faith mission like that and seeing something like that, it just, you know, stood out to me, like, how can you go back and without questioning, like, wow, like what, how could a, and this, this question comes up a lot. How could a loving God allow something like that to happen? So I just, it was interesting to hear your perspective on that and how you dealt with that. I wanted to take a quick break and invite you to an exclusive community I host called The Forge. One of my favorite proverbs is, as iron sharpens iron, so one man does another. The Forge is a mastermind, a community of men and women who are invested in their personal growth and development. They want to improve themselves, to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better parents to their kids, to add value to their team and lead better at work, and to add more value into their community. In The Forge, I teach principles and habits of the world's highest achievers and performers. And as a group, we identify goals, develop strategies to achieve them, and hold one another accountable. We focus on improving our health, our wellness, our wealth, our relationships, and living in alignment with our purpose. We work together to focus on what truly matters and have a place where we can discuss difficult topics about life. If you're interested in learning more, go on over to www.jteags.com forward slash community. Where you can learn more about The Forge, you can learn more about my one-on-one coaching experience, sign up for the newsletter, and check out the blog while you're at it. Now back to the show. Let's shift gears to something a little bit more positive since we just touched on some pretty dark stuff there. Let's let's shift into uh, your pursuit and passion on uh, backpacking. How did you sure. get into that? What does that look like for you? You've got some amazing videos on YouTube and watching your stuff about your gear reviews and just how you teach others about the hiking in the, in the back country and you live in some beautiful country out in Utah. What, um, how did you get into backpacking? Yeah. So, I mean, I was a boy scout and my, my family, uh, on my mom's side really likes to camp and get outdoors. So I was always outdoors and getting around and I got into backpacking when I was in, in high school and getting into the back country as much as I could. And so, uh, last year in, uh, like January, February, I was like, all right, this is the year I'm going to set up my little backpacking guiding company. I'm going to get some people out on some trips and I lined some people up and then COVID came and had other plans for me. And all my trips got canceled because we couldn't go to the the parks that we were going to go to. And so I said, all right, I'll pivot and I'll do some, uh, some YouTube videos and get my name out there a little bit like that. And so I started up bear outfitters on, on YouTube and um, started doing some videos that way and got some some gear design out there. So I'd been tinkering with uh, gear design and I had an opportunity to to do some gear design with the company and get some products out there that were uh, for them and and do some kind of neat gear reviews for them. And so I, I kind of took an opportunity to kind of pivot and do some copywriting and some video and content creation. And that's what I, I did for that. And hopefully... Uh, the, this year, either in the fall or early next year, I'll have some more trips set up, but this time I'll be up in Utah and I'll get some uh, beginning backpacker trips probably put together and some group trips and see about getting some people out into the backcountry. But that's that's kind of the goal is to help empower people to get into the backcountry, to do it safely, to do it in a, an ethical and, and conservation-minded way so that we can all enjoy the backcountry together for many, many, many years to come. Um, the more I, time I spend in the backcountry, the more I recognize just how precious it is and what a valuable resource it is for us as a country um, here in the States to uh, to preserve these kind of wild areas and 
I try and spend as much time as I can out there and I just want them to be as wild as they can be for my kids. And if I can help other people get out there and enjoy them in a, in a way that helps accomplish that, then that's something that I'm willing to do. So I do individualized coaching. So I have people contact me and ask me about gear purchases and stuff, and I'll help them kind of go through and, and kind of parse down their gear a little bit. And, uh, that's been kind of fun to, to deal with individual clients. And then, like I said, I'm getting some, hopefully get some group trips set up for the, the fall or early next year. So. Yeah. I love being out in nature. We talk about being connected to God. I feel more connected to the universe. And when I'm just out and detached from, yeah. I don't think we were designed. We as, we as humans weren't designed to live in these concrete jungles with, with all these screens, you know, and I, I feel amazing when I'm out in nature and I love, you know, seeing the different, like we have a, a wonderful country with so many different uh, ge- ge- uh, geographic like, locations yeah. and, and things to see, you know, so there's so much to see out there and whether, you know, I, I like to hike, I like to, you know, travel via canoe. I like to be on a bike. I like to be in my truck. Just being out in nature just makes me happy. And yeah. uh, I love the fact that uh, you have found a passion that you're helping others get out there and see, you know, uh, what, uh, in Utah, like Utah is one of the, it, it consistently comes up. I listen to a lot of travel, uh, podcasts, and whatnot. Utah is always in the top three places in the world, in the world. So you're like right there, uh, in some, uh, in God's country. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the Mecca of outdoor recreation. And so really I'm just going to take every advantage that I can of it while I'm here and try to help other people take advantage of it. Cause really, I mean, anything that you want to do outdoors wise, pretty much you can do in Utah. So it's a, a great place to be and great access to public lands where I can get out and have a lot of fun. Yeah. I'll link, uh, I'll, I'll link your YouTube channel and your contact information in the show notes. Uh, but, uh, your bear outfitters and a question I had for yep. you is you've, you've spelt it B E X A R. What does you have to figure yeah. out ignorance? What does so, that mean? So it's a, it was, it's kind of a shibboleth. So I started it off in, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, which is in bear County, B E X A R. And okay. so I had, uh, I decided to start it up and, you know, I was originally based out of San Antonio. And so I said, all right, well, I'll be bear outfitters. And so I started it up and yeah, it's one that I get a lot. Is it Bexar? Well, no, it's it's Bear, and that's kind of how I know where people are from because all the Texans that I give calls from go, "Hey, man, are you out of San Antonio?" And I go, "Well, I was," and I get to kind of explain it away. But yeah, it's it's a kind of a, a way for me to know where people are from and how they pronounce it when they give me a call or when they shoot me an email and want to get on a Zoom call or something. Yeah, it's really cool. No, super cool. What are some, if someone wanted, someone's new to backpacking, what would be mm-hmm. some basic tips that you would uh, give someone to just getting out there and hiking and maybe some gear recommendations? Um, first thing is always try everything at home first. Uh, that's one that, that a lot of people overlook. If you have a backyard, try it in the backyard, um, set up everything and make sure it's all there and have all the pieces. Um, that's one thing that we do. First thing, whenever I get a new client is we shake out all their gear and say, all right, what have you got? Um, second is don't pack your fears. A lot of people tend to overpack, especially when they're first beginning, um, because they say, Oh, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get snake bits. I'm going to pack this snake bite kit. Well, this, I'm hate to break it to you, but most snake bite kits are actually pretty useless. They do more tissue damage than leaving it alone. So, you know, that's a couple ounces that you could have used to bring something else. Or they'll bring, you know, nine water bottles and they'll have these really heavy Nalgene water bottles. And they'll say, Nope, you don't. Don't need nine. You just need, you know, two or three and 
we can get you get you where you need to go. And um, the second thing is, I think you know, uh, ounces fall to pounds, and grams turns into ounces. So every little thing that you bring along, you need to have a weight for, and you need to really evaluate: Do I actually need this thing? Um, writing down your gear list and actually evaluating what you use and what you don't use is probably the easiest way to uh, figure out what you actually need to take on the trail. And the last thing I say is to just get to 20 nights. So if you can get to 20 nights on the trail, whether that's car camping, backpacking, camping out in you know, the woods, whatever you want to do, if you can get to 20 nights in whatever style of camping that you want to get to, that will get you to a, a level of proficiency that you can comfortably take on most tasks. So, I mean, obviously it depends on where you're going and if you're doing like mountaineering or alpine camping, it, you can get into some squirrely stuff. But for most people, about 20 nights on the trail gets them to comfortable camping. So the first couple of nights are going to be miserable. You're not going to enjoy yourself. But the more you dial your gear in, the more you uh, you kind of learn, the better your camping experience is going to be. And, and really 20 nights, I think, is that sweet spot of where you need to be. Um, yeah, I like gear recommendations. I go on all night long, man. Yeah, no, I like that you put a number to that to, to strive for because a lot of people they think camping sucks because it's the first couple times they went out they didn't have a good time they didn't have the right gear they had too much gear or yeah they had crappier mattress yeah yeah I went on a canoe trip uh, here here in the uh, the Ozarks you know we're we're known for our, our beautiful river so we're down in Eminence which is beautiful down there and in Missouri the weather can change and it was like it was Memorial Day weekend. And it's usually like really hot. That's the start of summer. But for whatever reason, it was like cold. It was like 50, 60 degrees. And uh, Lacey and I, we, we camped out. We had all of our gear, had a little buddy heater, had, you know, changes of clothes. And we packed. We had the wet bag. And knowing that we were going to be in the water, sh- she was inexperienced. We're like, hey, you know, we got wet bags. You wanna go, you're going to want to put a change of clothes in there just in case, you know, that we dump. And uh, bring your coat, you know, because the wind on the water is going to get cold. And so we were, we were all prepared. We got in the canoes and we were paddling and we noticed there were a lot of other people out there thinking it was the first day of summer. They didn't have a shred of clothes. They're out there drinking. Cold, miserable. They, there were some people that were miserable. I, I'd heard that uh, the, the buses had to, they, a lot of people were stopping early and the buses had to go extract them and people were having a miserable time. And it was just, it was just amazing to me how unprepared people were. They're so comfortable, you know, in their day-to-day life. And they actually go outdoors and do something like that. And they take for granted, you know, the, the, the weather changes and not having the appropriate gear. And I think a lot of people, they don't like to camp because like you said, the first couple of experiences that they have aren't pleasant because they weren't properly prepared. But as you do it more, you know, the more competence you gain in it and, and you learn about it. And like I said, if, if you're new, you know, you too, you know, you can go check out Chris and see all of his, he's, he's going to teach you how to, how to do it. And, uh, you know, go hire him as a coach, you know, and, and learn about it so you can get the proper gear. Uh, I'm a big fan of getting the appropriate gear. I've made the mistake of overpacking before. And now I'm, 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 I, like I said, I've got more competence in it. I'm a big believer in, you know, getting good quality gear, big fan yeah. of uh, cry once, buy once, you know, S- spend the extra money, get the good gear on the stuff that you're going to use. And there's a lot of crap that you don't really need. Uh, well, that's, I had, I had a client one time that she didn't want to buy socks. And I was like, you're going to want to buy socks. You're going to want to buy some <laughs> darn tough Merino wool socks or smart wool socks in Gigi socks. You're going to want to buy nice Merino socks. And she's like, I just don't want to spend 20 bucks on socks. And I was like, listen, you're going to have a bad time if you don't take good socks. Well, she didn't listen. And she took some cotton socks 
And if you're familiar with that, I mean, it was just blister city. So she ended up getting horrible blisters. And so she came in the next time I was talking to her, you know, I get this message from her and she's like, you know, my feet are all messed up and I feel horrible. And this is, this is sucky. And why didn't you warn me? And I'm like, well, what socks did you take? And then she sent me a picture of like the Costco, like cotton socks. And I was like, okay, sweetheart, like, we're going to stop this. We're going to go back. We would go back to why this is important. And she's like, the moleskin didn't do anything. The Luco tape didn't do anything. And I was like, yeah, because you shredded your foot. So, yeah, you know, take the time, find good gear. Yeah, I mean, I'm more than happy to help people look for good gear, get good gear, recommend gear. Um, but you got to take the recommendation sometimes because sometimes it's worth spending the money on. Do not scrimp on socks and underwear. I am pretty – I'm a cheapskate on a lot of things, but I <laughs> – I wear a firm uh, believer small of, of socks and a couple other brands and they're 20, $30 a pair, but they last forever too. That's the thing. They, they yeah. last forever. But man, if your feet, especially if you're hiking, <laughs> you get yeah, if, you're back, if you're backpacking, please wear good wool socks. <laughs> yeah. Cause wool, it keep, if it gets wet, you know, it keeps you warm. When, it's when it's, it's moisture wicking. It's going to keep you warm. It's going to yeah. help keep your feet good. Yeah. Bad yeah, feet a on a backpacking trip is a bad time. That's a bad day. Yeah, which which you know, it's great that you're actually teaching people and on and taking the time to to do that because a lot of people just don't know. They don't know. They don't. Yeah. Uh, they don't value it because they don't understand. But sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And there's a lot of things yeah. that I've learned uh, the yeah. hard way. And I've I've learned the hard way in the army. You know, I've I I when I first came in, I didn't have the best socks, and I got a lot of blisters. And I'm like, man, okay, the army, we're we're marching everywhere. We're foot marching everywhere. Uh, I'm getting like, let me figure out the sock bit. And I went to some other folks like, what do you use? You know, and man, get the good socks, get the good stuff. Just, just hunkered. And ever since, you know, uh, because it can socks. really, really something as simple like that can ruin your trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'll change your day for sure. Yeah. What are you, uh, so what are you working on now? Like as far as your backpacking business, where, where are you at with COVID? Um, so we're, we're open. I'm still, I'm still taking on virtual clients. I still take a lot, a lot of virtual clients. I've got some videos planned for this summer. Uh, I'm currently moving. And so I'm, I'm dealing with that right now, but I should have some videos up in the next couple of weeks to kind of start season two, I guess. Um, I'm scouting out some locations. I've got a trip planned for later this month to go up and look at some spots up in the Wasatch range. So should have some stuff coming up in the next couple of months. And, uh, We'll see if I can get some stuff pulled together for the fall. If not, I'll uh, I'll get some group trips put together for next spring. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I, it seems like um, we're definitely on the, the 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 downward trend of of COVID and things are starting to go back to normal, which is which is great. I'm glad to, that was a, it's been a very interesting year. So I'm glad you're going to be able to get some folks out there and uh, you know get, get your get your backpacking on and get some folks out in the wilderness. Yeah. Things fantastic. Well, let's shift gears to uh, like some personal development. I want to know how you kind of sure. think about some things. Uh, what what do you think of the word successful? Who comes to mind? Oh man, successful. Uh, probably my grandpa. Uh, he was a, a mobile uh, chemical executive. Uh, he, I, I'll call him middle class fancy. I mean, he's he's very well off. Uh, probably upper middle class, well off. I mean, he's not a billionaire. I've met some billionaires. I I think that they're generally nice guys. I don't know. The, the two that I've met were nice enough anyway. Um, I, I think not necessarily successful in just wealthy terms, um, but I think that really any band who uh, 
counts himself happy is successful. So if you can look yourself in the mirror and say that you're happy, I consider that a life success. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate the delineation on that because uh, success means different things to different people. But I think at the end of the day, we all have the desire to to be happy and wealth doesn't necessarily equate to happiness. Yeah. So what was it about your grandpa, though, that uh, that really like what were some of his attributes that you really respect? Um, I mean, he's he's generally just a, a nice guy. He's He's now, I mean, he's retired now. He's in his late 80s and he's putzing around doing different uh, nonprofit work and chasing down grandkids. And so um, I think that the thing for me that is inspiring about him is that he's never stopped looking for opportunities to serve other people. So he organized a a charity soccer event in Houston for years and years and years um, to benefit uh, multiple sclerosis research. He's volunteered as a, a, I think it's called an angel ride. So it's like, Families that come down to MD Anderson uh, or come down to the Children's Hospital in Houston, they'll their organization will give rides from the airport to the hospital. And so he sat on that board for a couple of years. He served on some other nonprofits and raised a lot of money for uh, Houston area charities over the years. And so for me, you know, the the way that he's used his business contacts and his personal contacts to try and make at least his little sphere of the world better. Um, and that kind of servant leadership is is an inspiring thing for me. And I think that that's, um, you know, we there's a, a movement in younger people, especially to kind of frown upon people of wealth and, you know, say, well, they never do anything. But the second that people give big donations, they say, well, they could have given more. They could have given more. And I'm like, you know, just accept that they're they're giving a lot of money to whatever cause or they're giving a lot of time and energy to whatever cause. And really anytime that anybody makes an effort to make the world a better place, I'm, I'm here for it. So. Yeah. It's like a hardworking family man who's involved in the community. Those are some of the things that I, that I heard that's just giving. Yeah. Guy came Generous. up from nothing, became a chemical engineer, made his way into sales, made his way up to VP of mobile chemical and, you know, became very successful, you know, financially and, 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 you know, family wise. And, uh, you know, has used that influence and, and money to make the world a better place. And, you know, if you can do that, then that's, that's the American dream as far as I'm concerned. No, that is outstanding. Sounds like a solid man there. What book have you gifted the most? Oh, man, what book have I gifted the most? Um, that's a good question. Uh, probably the Book of Mormon because I gave away crap tons of those on my mission, you know, every chance <laughs> yeah. I got. Uh, Either that or the Bible. Those those are probably top two. Um, after the that, like like the book of all time. There's so much dude, knowledge right there. there. Yeah, uh, pro- secular book. Um, I've given away a lot of copies of Extreme Ownership. Um, I've probably given away four or five copies of that one over the years. Um, a close second one is uh, Sentinel by Pat McNamara, or um, Seven Years in Hanoi by Larry Chesley. I've given a couple of copies of those away over the years as well. What was it about those books that inspired you to give it away? Um, so Sentinel is one that, uh, is a good one. So I, a lot of people like extreme ownership. So I'm going to skip that one. Cause a lot of people talk about that one. Um, but Sentinel is uh, by Patrick McNamara. He's a, a former Delta guy. Um, and he talks about different ways where you can become the, the agent in charge of your own executive protection detail. So he talks about, you know, you need to be aware of the things that are going on around you. You need to talk to your kids about like, Hey, if something happens in the store, we're going to meet back here. And he goes through like sequential rally points. He goes through, 
defensive driving. Um, he goes through kind of home security stuff and things that you can do to to be better at all those things. So for me, it was it was a neat book because he sets it up in a really easy to follow way on ways that you can be more aware of the world around you and how that can make you be not only safer as as you know you're more aware of things, but it'll help you kind of be more aware of the world around you and how people operate. And that's been interesting to me because it is true, you know, like the dynamics of crowd movement all kind of follow things. If you get enough people moving one direction, people tend to follow. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's ways that you can look about that and say, all right, well, if something goes down, here's where I'm going to exit. And just kind of having that mindset of what, what happens if something goes south has changed the way that I, kind of operate in the world and it saved me from like car wrecks. It saved me from um, kind of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's made me aware of my surroundings in positive ways. So that's a good one. And then uh, seven years in Hanoi by Larry Chesley. That's uh, by Larry Chesley, obviously. And it's about his time as a POW in Vietnam. And he has a, a neat perspective where he talks about there's a difference between faith and action and you have to have faith and action Um, And it talks a lot about how during his time he um, spent, he got to see the best of humanity and the worst of humanity and how he learned to deal with that and how he learned to move forward with his life after Hanoi. So those are both kind of fun books and, and, you know, military guys tend to like them and I tend to hang around with a lot of military guys. And so I always end up coming up in conversations. So I, I usually tend to pass those two along. I've read Extreme Ownership. I have heard of the Hanoi book, The Seven Years of Hanoi. I had not heard about the other one, but I like the premise of it. I find myself very much aware, and I, I'm assuming it's it's years of military service and being in some interesting positions where you know I go to a restaurant, I'm looking for the exits, I'm just watching people, my back's to the door, you know. I'm I'm just, just a- very just aware of my surroundings. I do that with my kids too. We walk into Walmart, like, hey. Where's the car at? Hey, you know, and just ask them questions to make sure to try to spread that awareness to them because people are really, are really woefully, unaware woefully unaware. Yeah. And, and this notion that they're completely safe is uh, things can go sideways in, in a minute. And as I was watching it, uh, the, other, the, the news, I, I hardly ever watched the news, but I, it happened to be on and they're talking about the number of mass shootings uh, being on the rise this year. And I'm just thinking about like, at any moment, like something crazy can happen. And I'm always like thinking about being prepared. What do I need? What's my everyday carry? Like what, you know, all yeah. of those things. And, and like you said, most people are woefully un- unaware. Well, and just setting like the, the most extreme example aside, let's say not even a mass shooting, you know, you get separated from your kid in Walmart. Okay. You know, where's your kid supposed to go next? No. Okay, yeah. Do I go back to the car? Do I meet you at the front? Do I meet you at the door? Do I meet you at the cashier? Do I get you paged by the, you know, Having a, a rally point, hey, if we, you know something happens, we're going to meet back here. Then, oh crap, where's you know where's so and so? Okay, well let's go back to that corner over there, and we'll wait, and they'll pop back up. You know that kind of stuff, or you know having your your spouse, or your your kids' phone number memorized, your your contacts yeah. memorized, at least a couple of three that you need. So if your phone dies, you can call them on somebody else's phone. You know I can't yeah. tell you the number of people that I know that don't know other people's phone number that are important people, you know, their spouse, their, you know, significant other, their kid's school. Those are the numbers that you probably need to have handy so that you can make some phone calls. Worst come scenario. Yeah. One thing that drives me crazy is uh, my kids, they, they, they won't take their coat in the middle of winter with them. 
Like, what if the bus sure. breaks down? You know, like yeah. Yeah. you can seriously get yourself in a in a situation. Bind real quick. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the the people canoeing without their without their clothing. Now, you know, being just being aware, being prepared, because those are really the things that are going to get people in trouble. It's usually weather related, or it's going to be a vehicle accident. Yeah, I mean, those are the 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 you know the two most common situations you're going to find yourself dealing with. Yeah, and he he goes he goes through some of those as well. You know, like how to put together like a, a get home kit or a get home bag, and you know, do things to to think about and like emergency preparedness. Pat McNamara is a really fun one to follow. Um, he's got a, a couple of different content channels that he's got, but he's another fun one to follow. He's got a lot of solid content out there. Oh, good deal. That's noted. We'll uh, we'll check him out. I appreciate the book recommendations. Well, we're, we're right about uh, an hour. So I always like to turn the tables to the guests and have you ask me, me a question, any question that you want. What question do you have for me? Well, you mentioned this come out about Father's Day. What's the number one thing that you would uh, tell other fathers out there um, come this Father's Day? Wow. Uh, and th- I'm going to say this, preface this from other guys that may have not had a good childhood is that, uh, you know, for my, my father wasn't present. He was not a good person. He, you know, was very abusive. And, and, uh, I learned, I have learned not just from my father, but just toxic leaders. I have learned a lot of lessons from people that have been toxic in my life of what not to be. And as long as you, my, my philosophy has always been like, I just want to be the father that I wish that I had. And that's what I've leaned in on. And I don't always get it right. And there's times there, you know, and I may lose my cool or my temper, but I think that at the end of the day, you do the best that you can. And the kids want your presence, not your presence, but your presence, like being involved and engaged with them more than anything else. And, and like you said, lead by example they're going to follow your example and, and they may not see it now, but they're going to appreciate it later in life. And those are the things that I would just uh, encourage people is to, you know, make yourself better. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what, you know, me doing coaching and, and, and everything that we do is, is to help other people be better. We're, we're all human. We're all flawed. But when we show up the best version of ourselves everyone around us is affected by that. And, and your kids, you know, they're watching everything that, that you do, every single thing that you do, how you react to people, how you, you know, like you mentioned your grandfather, you know, how he made such a great impact because of his actions, right? How he carried himself and how he was involved with the community. When you're that type of person, your kids see that and they need to see you doing that. And they need to see you getting after it and doing difficult things and having meaningful pursuits and being kind and generous, being physically fit and taking care of yourself. Because what you do, your kids are, may pick up a habit or two if you've got a bad habit, you know. And so mm-hmm. when you're the best version of yourself, I think that uh, your kids, there's that nature versus nurture thing, you know. Um, but I but I do think that you have a lot of influence through your action, so. That would be just my 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 advice to other people is just be a better version of yourself and your kids will hopefully follow suit. Sure. Awesome. But uh, but yeah, hey brother. Well, man, I uh, I appreciate your time. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything that uh, that we don't know about you that we need to know about you? I don't think so, man. I mean, I'm a, I'm an open book and I'm I'm always around to to talk to people and 
if I can help anybody be a better version of themselves, I'm always more than happy to try and help people do that. So if anybody ever needs to pick me up or whatever, you can always reach out to me on there on Bear Outfitters and I can shoot you a message back and I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can. So yeah, what, one final question for you. You're, you know, you're a superintendent. You have uh, a lot of responsibility at work. You're a family man. You're fostering children. You have a backpacking, uh, guiding, you know, you're doing YouTube videos. You're doing, how do you find the time? What is the secret? How do you <laughs> get all of this done and maintain everything? Oh man. Early mornings and late nights. No, uh, I mean, I, I fit it in when I can. Right. So, I mean, I get up at, uh, at four 30 and I hit the gym by five, try and get a workout in. I'll take a shower at six, head into work. Um, the nice thing about being a construction superintendent is it usually means I'm off by about three 30, um, four o'clock, usually at the latest. So that means I get to come home and, and spend time with my wife and kids. Um, like I said, I'm in the middle of a move. And so some of the the goals that I've had and some of the, the content stuff that I've been wanting to put out has been kind of on the back burner as we've been doing this move. But, uh, you know, it's communicating with my spouse to say, hey, I re- really want to make this video. Can I go out for, you know, two hours on whatever, you know, Thursday night and film this video? And then, you know, my wife, she needs a, a little head start when she needs to go to bed. And so I'll edit the video while she's doing that. And, you know, it's, you, you find the time and you make priorities on, on where you need to and you set a plan. And if you set a plan and try to be intentional with your day and with your week, you'd be surprised how much time you probably have lying around that you don't account for. So maybe not you, Jay. I mean, you, you've seen like you do a pretty good job accounting your time. I know I've seen like, your planner and uh, Craig's planner on Facebook posts and stuff, but taking a minute to say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it at this time. Um, and having the ability to be a little bit flexible with it, you know, you do it when you can and you do your best and that's all you really can do. So set your priorities and, recognize that there's times and seasons for everything. You can't do everything all the time, but you can do your best at the thing that you're doing at that moment. And so for me, that's the big one. You know, if I'm with my kids, I want to be present with my kids. And that's something that I'm conscientiously working on is trying to make sure that I'm present when I'm playing with them and spending time with them because they're only little for a little while. And uh, if I'm working on work, I want to be at work and I'm going to be given hundred percent and so really, it's just you know t- taking the time to prioritize and execute. So that's that's all I really can do. Prioritize and execute. I love it. That's from extreme ownership right there. Yeah, man. yeah. I, I like the fact that you know time management and uh, you find the time to take care of yourself. You have mindfulness yeah. practice. You get up early to to work out and take care. You know, I know you're doing 75 hearts. So you're watching nutrition, so you have the energy level right. Because if you have high levels of energy and you manage your time man, you can get so much done. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, see what, uh, what your routine kind of was and what it is that uh, enables yeah, your success. That's it right there. It's not, people want yeah. complex. There's nothing complex. It's discipline. <laughs> it's having yeah. a plan, sticking to it and living with intention. Yeah. Yeah. Cancel Netflix, cancel Disney plus, and uh, that'll save you a couple hours of a week right there. And I mean, not everybody wants to go out and, and do backpack and whatever, but you know, if you're setting a priority, whatever that is, whether it's self-care, whether it's exercise, whether it's, you know, meal prep, whatever that is, if you set that pri- as a priority and make it a priority, then you'll find the time to get it done. So, yeah, I was talking to someone, she'll probably listen to this podcast. Uh, it makes me laugh. It, this is a person that kind of have, has, uh, has dealt with a lot of stuff in their, in their life and they're kind of unpacking some things, but I was like, uh, what was one of your favorite things to do? Uh, what, what is one of your favorite things to do that brings you happiness and joy? 
hiking in the mountains. Like, that's awesome. That's great. That's a fantastic thing. When was the last time you did it? 20 years ago. Like, yeah. well, no shit. No wonder you're unhappy and miserable. What well, are you doing do with your time? That makes you happy. Why aren't you doing it? You know, and I, it still makes me, me laugh. And I know she's probably listening to this laughing, but, uh, you know, that's taking your life back and just people just get off of their, their path sometimes and that happens. But the things that brought you joy early in your life, you got to make time for that because so often like life can happen to you, kids, careers, you get, you get kind of taken, taken off path a little bit, but get back on the path. It's the little things in life that make you happy. Yeah. hundred percent. So, Hey, Chris, Hey, I appreciate your time for, uh, thanks for coming on the, uh, the podcast. We've got a lot of, uh, great insight from you. Appreciate you being, uh, an open book and sharing with us your life and, uh, some of the habits that, uh, that keep you engaged and, uh, you know, doing what is it that you do. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. How can people connect with you? What's the best way for people to connect? And I'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, they can reach out to me on Bear Outfitters. That's probably the easiest way. That's probably my, my most public face. So, All right, brother. Well, I'll link it all in the show notes. If uh, Connect with Chris. Follow him. He uh, puts out a lot of great content, and uh, he's a good man doing a lot of things. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you being on. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. All right, brother. In the meantime, for everyone else, keep doing hard things. We'll see you in the next episode.